Boxing. I'm very happy to be joined by two teachers. Uh, we already got more teachers that are going to be coming on, but these are the main teachers, my main comrades that we're going to be doing this with. We've got Smallsy uh, right there out of Melbourne, Australia, and we got my man Ludo from the Bronx, New York, uh, by way of Paris, France, and many other international locations. I'm very happy about this show, very excited to get into some teachers talking boxing. We're going to be talking to heavyweights today. We're going to be talking to lightweights today. We're also going to be talking about uh, the Asia-Pacific region and boxing and things that have been happening with some fighters from that part of the world. I'm talking about the Philippines, Japan, Australia, and beyond so, uh, without further ado, I'm going to let my man Ludovic introduce himself, introduce his kind of uh, way of, uh, of talking about boxing, his philosophies, whatever he wants to get into. Ludovic, the floor is yours. Hey, how you doing? So, I'm uh, Ludo from the Bronx, New York, um, originally from Paris, France, like you introduced. Uh, actually, when I started very young, uh, I started with actually kickboxing in different forms of kickboxing where I competed before I switched over, um, slightly before I moved to New York. So it's been, it's been a while. And, uh, I, you know, I'm mostly focused on boxing right now. You know, the switch over was, uh, was like a crush and, uh, my, um, boxing philosophy, not philosophy, but it's more focused on the technicality and tacticality aspects of boxing. That's really what I'm really focused on. There you go. That's my man Ludo straight out of the Bronx through Paris, New York. Uh, Smallsy, uh, you know, I came to know you through the Undefeated uh, podcast. I was telling Ludo off camera uh, about your takedown of, of a couple people in debates related to boxing. But I, I highly respect my man because, A, he's a teacher just like us. And, B, he's he's also a boxing aficionado. Uh, Smallsy, uh, the floor is yours. Hey, g'day, Master. G'day, Ludo. Um, g'day to all the teachers out there and the boxing fans. Um, uh, it's, it's, a, it's a funny game teaching because I think in our students' eyes, we're just sort of part of the classroom and we get packed away into the cupboard like the vacuum cleaner at the end of the day. But we actually have lives of our own. We have passions of our own. And for everyone on this channel right now, uh, our passion is boxing. If you're watching right now, congratulations. You're a hardcore boxing fan. And there's nothing better than that. Now, um, I was thinking, what do I, what can I possibly bring to this podcast? We have uh, Maestro, the, the boxing aficionado of New York City. We've got Ludo, a real professional in the, in the sport, dealing with corners and, and boxing. What am I? Well, I represent the masses, the boxing fans, the people who make the sport possible because we, we add our dollars to the pot and we make sure you know, these fights can happen. Um, now, uh, in terms of my boxing philosophy, I just like watching good boxing fights. 
I, I'm, I'm not going to give you the most technical breakdowns. I'm just going to tell you what I like watching and uh, what I think makes a good fight. So, Maestro, thank you for having me on. Very interested to see what I can learn and hear from you and Ludo. Oh, I appreciate that. And I appreciate you, Smallsy and Ludo. And I'll tell you the main thing for me talking about boxing on the internet. People that watch my channel know I've gotten into arguments with this. I've debated people on this. I think it's safe to say that all three of us respect the sport. We respect fighters. Um, you know, I'm not going to be out here calling fighters the B word, whether it's the ITCH or the UM. Okay. These are professionals that get into the ring that risk their lives for our entertainment and guys that have a very high iq um it's not easy to get in there and do what they do so it, it's all about respect uh, as well from from um from our side i would say because i know listening to both of you that you're 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 on that level as well ludovic you want to say something yeah that that's what i um that's what i want to piggyback on actually um you know i may give my opinion about a fighter, I may analyze, like I said, in the tacticality and technicality aspect, but in no way uh, do I mean any disrespect or anything, because to get there, I mean, to get in the ring, you know, it's not for everybody. It's not for everybody, especially at a certain level. It takes some special type of guts, you know, to stay polite, um, to get in there. And you know what? A lot of people don't realize, you know, a lot of, um, Let's say you average boxing fans. They always want to, a lot of people, you know, you hear people speak, oh, there's that, he's trash. Is it? No, no, he's not trash. You can't be trash to be, to be at this level. Even at a lesser level, you cannot be trash. People don't realize the level of dedication that it is, the sacrifice, while these average guys are watching boxing from the bar getting trashed themselves. <laughs> you know, they're not, um, they do not understand. They do not understand the going to bed early, the waking up early, the running, the strength and conditioning, the by the sparring, because, you know, sparring is what really what may cause damages. It's not the fight in itself. It's all these shots that you take. Spar and and the mental, the, 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 you know, mentally and morally, it's it's rough. Yes, I, I agree with all of that. So with that being said, and we'll get into more of the, the other things uh, in later on and in future episodes, um, you know, talking a little bit about what we do in the various parts of the world that we live in. I'm going to try to bring on teachers from different countries. I've got a teacher lined up in the UK that, that wants to, to join us as well from time to time. So let's get into it, guys. Uh, first thing I wanted to talk about and I don't know if you've been entertained as much as I've been entertained by the lead up to this, uh, particularly by Joe Joyce, to be honest. I'm talking about Joyce versus Zhang. Uh, that's taking place later today. Uh, here in the United States, it's going to be on ESPN+. Plus. I believe it's on BT Sport in the UK. Do you know where this is being covered, Smallsy, in, in Australia? Uh, I think it's just on Fight TV, actually. Okay, um, so you got to purchase that one. Pay-per-view? Yeah. Okay, so it's Joyce versus Zhang. Uh, this is a big heavyweight matchup. Um, you know, Filip Hergovic out of Croatia was considered to be kind of the boogeyman. A lot of people didn't want to fight him. He was going down the list of IBF-ranked fighters uh, to, to get an opponent. People weren't standing up. People weren't really to, are willing to get into the ring with him. 
So he ended up having to go all the way down in the rankings to Zilai Zhang. In China, they'd say Zhang Zilei, because as I know you guys know that surname comes first in the Chinese culture. Um, so Zhang Zilei. And a lot of people felt that Zhang Zilei beat him on the undercard of uh, Usyk uh, against Joshua too. Um, notwithstanding, uh, he's got a shot today, uh, later today or tomorrow in Australia, against the WBO interim heavyweight champion in Joe the Juggernaut Joyce, someone who has been referred to as Slow Joe. People says he gets hit too much. But I'll tell you what I like about Joe Joyce, guys, as a heavyweight. He sticks to the jab. He's heavy-handed. He's got a great chin. And what's most impressive to me for a big man is his ticker, his cardio. Uh, so... I'm very much looking forward to this fight. I see it being a tremendous fight early on. I think Zhang is going to push Joe Joyce more than he's been pushed by anyone else at, uh, up to this point in his career. Um, my, my issue with Zhang, though, is his cardio. My issue with Zhang is the fact that I've seen him gassed out. I understand he was sick for the Jerry Forrest fight, so that's a little bit of, a, of, of an outlier there, maybe an exception to the rule, but in terms of that level of fatigue. But this is a guy who whose output diminishes the longer the fight goes on. And what's crazy about Joyce is his output almost seems to increase. When his opponent gets stronger, he kind of gets, uh, sorry, gets weaker, he kind of gets stronger. So, um, Smallsy, I'm going to go for you first on this one. Give me your thoughts on Joyce versus Zhang. Well, I know you've been talking about Joe Joyce for a long time, Maestro. I know you've been um, rating him for a long time. And I've I've really had to come around to him because I, I I guess like a lot of people just saw him as kind of a slow-moving heavyweight for a while. That changed when I saw him in the Daniel Dubois fight. Um, he, seems, he seems to be like sort of a personification of contradictions because he's a gentle giant who's also not so gentle. He's this guy who, as he takes more punishment, seems to get more and more like worked up and more powerful as he as he works through the fight. Um, he's up now against a guy who I think is his biggest opponent. I think this is probably the first time he's actually been matched for size in the ring as a professional, size and strength. Um, but the key thing that you pointed out there, Maestro, is there is a difference when it comes to engine or to cardio. One of these guys, although Jung, you know, has all the heart in the world and, a, and has a really, really strong amateur, uh, amateur pedigree, he has had organ failure in fights in the past. Like, this is a serious medical condition. He, that Jerry Forrest fight, he fought through six rounds of it with literal organ failure. So, um, you know, the machinery maybe is not as reliable as, as we see with Joe Joyce. Regardless, it's going to be an absolute barnstormer of a fight for, I'd say, at least five or six rounds. These are two refrigerators of human beings who both have really, really good boxing skill. Um, it's it's a fight that just doesn't come around very often. Now, when I saw um, Joe Joyce in the Joseph Parker fight, that's when I think Joe Joyce immediately became the third best heavyweight in the world because Joseph Parker, he's been my boy in the division for a long time. I know he hasn't really lived up to a lot of expectations, but I love Joseph Parker. And um, it hurt me to see Joe Joyce beat him like that. But I know 
No other heavyweight in the world, I might even be including Tyson Fury in that, deals with Joseph Parker the way Joe Joyce did. It was both shocking, hurtful, and amazing to see Joe Joyce knock out Joseph Parker. Um, yeah, so that's what the, the way I see the fight. I think it's probably a mid-round stoppage for Joe Joyce. Well, there you go. Um, I, I, I've got to say I, I, I agree with that. And also, I, I did not expect Joe Joyce to deal with Joseph Parker that way either. I mean, Joe, Joe Parker is someone who – very nice guy, first of all. Um, but inside the ring, I mean, he's got a good chin. He's got great uh, punch selection. Um, he's got a high boxing IQ. Um, and he just got steamrolled by by Joe Joyce. And this was after he threw literally everything other than the kitchen sink at Joseph Parker. Like every punch you could imagine, he hit him with uh, with with power. So that was a definitely a, an impactful victory as far as I'm concerned as well. Ludovic, Zhang versus uh, uh, Joe Joyce. What are your thoughts on this fight? So, you know, you mentioned that uh, you saw Zhang uh, gas in the fight. And also you mentioned that Joe Joyce picks up steam as he gets hit, right? Um, well, there's two, two things I noticed. Um, as, you know, especially as PE teachers, you know, it's something that we, we bring up a lot. You know, the body composition of the two fighters, that may explain a lot of why uh, maybe everybody's different because you see Tyson Fury you know, his body composition is not exactly um, um, the quote-unquote best, right? However, his output is incredible, and he doesn't really seem to get... But, yeah, that may, that may make the difference. That may be or make the difference. Also, what I noticed on the on, on Zang's record, um, he has the better record on paper. But look at his uh, last fight, who he lost to. Hergovic, right? Um, and look at Hergovic body type for a heavyweight. It's just a suggestion. It doesn't mean maybe, you know. So what do you what do you think about this? Uh well, for the first thing about Fury is Fury lost a lot of weight, a uh, tremendous amount of weight, I think in mm -hmm. excess of 150 pounds. So a lot of people see when they see the body fat of fury now i'm not saying there isn't body fat but a lot of that is also loose skin excess skin True. that can only be be gotten rid of with like drastic surgery which obviously he's not going to do he was a beast for a while yeah i mean the guy was like what was it like what was he at over 450 pounds or something like that so something like yeah this. you lose that amount of weight drastically you're always going to have loose mm -hmm. excess skin um but his cardio output is is insane um, the only guy that rivals or even surpasses uh, Joe Joyce in this regard in terms of cardio is, um, sorry, if Fury in terms of cardio is Joe Joyce, as far as I'm concerned. I don't see any heavyweight that's able to pick it up the way he does. In terms of, of comparing um, Hergovich with, 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 uh, with uh, Joyce, I think... What you're saying there is Hergovich was kind of coming on later. I found a second wind. Um, now, a lot of people don't think he won the fight, but I, I do think that Zilai Zhang or Zhang Zilei's output did kind of diminish, which is normal. 
especially yeah. for a guy that size. But I agree with you. As the fight goes on, Joe Joyce's cardio is going to be able to kick in the second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth gear and overdrive, right? I, I don't think that Zhang Zile uh, has that. But Smallsy, what, what, are, what are your th thoughts on Zhang Zile? I mean, um, you, you actually, you've already said it, but I don't know if you want to double down on anything. You think that it's a mid, mid to late round stoppage, right? That's kind of how I have it, too. Yeah, I mean, I, lo I love Zhang Zile. He, he's a um, uh, very likable guy. I don't, I don't know, maybe maybe some of his likability comes through in like mistranslated things that he says. Yeah. Um, I know, like he said, in his, <laughs> through the interpreter at the press conference, he said he likes to bang everything. I mean, <laughs> can't fault him on that, you know. Um, now, uh, he, he's got so much heart. I mean, like the fact that he came through that Jerry Forrest fight where he probably should have, an ambulance should have been called for him about six rounds in. The fact that he got through it shows he has a lot of heart. But Joe Joyce walks through people. I don't know. I mean, this is the typical the typical like phrase that people use is the immovable object versus the unstoppable force. And like th this is that. If if there's if if um Joyce is the juggernaut, you know, Jung is about as close as you can get to the Hulk, except I guess if the Hulk had like some kind of, you know. Uh, kind of organ deficiency, I suppose. But um, so it, there's there's a time limit for Zhang on this fight. He has to get things done by that five or six rounds. He can't let it linger on like he did in the Hergovich fight and, and lose the last. You know, he'll he'll get stopped by Joyce if he if he doesn't stop Joyce early. So yeah, that's well, the way then, I see. I think it's a mid round stoppage for Joyce. Yeah, well there you go. I wanted to pivot to the heavyweight division to a discussion there, and I'm going to share the heavyweight rankings here so everybody can see them all right uh these are the boxing scene uh rankings uh not boxing scene rankings but the official rankings courtesy of boxing scene shout out to keith idick that's my man over there at boxing scene i'm looking forward to seeing keith next weekend in las vegas uh so we got the wbc champion tyson fury Usyk, of course uh holds all of the other belts um the rumor guys is that AJ is going to be waiting until the end of the year. Uh, and there's going to be some kind of a four-man tournament involving AJ, Usyk, Fury, and Wilder. Of course, Joe Joyce is going to be left out of that picture, regardless of if he wins or loses, as was Eli Zhang, um, Zhang Zile. Uh, Joe Joyce's mom was actually complaining about this in an interview given to UK media yesterday it was actually quite hilarious if anyone hasn't seen it go check it out joy joyce's mom complaining to talk sport i believe it was or maybe it was ifl that uh, her son is being left out of the heavyweight picture um is a four-man tournament something that entices you uh for the the rumor i heard is aj versus wilder uh fury versus Usyk, winners facing off against each other i've also heard a slight uh, alteration of that where it's like um, Usyk versus versus uh, versus Wilder and AJ versus Fury to get things going. But the general idea is that four fighters, um, all four belts, uh, four-man tournament, Saudi Arabia putting up the money, uh, set to begin later this year. Ludovic, well, what are your thoughts on that? Is that... Something you'd like to see, and if so, which combination of matchups would be most appealing? I mean, AJ Wilder, that you mentioned, 
I think it's it's going to be very very interesting. The um, uh, it and isn't it overdue? Yeah, it's it's long <laughs> overdue. I mean, they were calling out each other when they held when they held all the belts, right? So let's go for it. Yeah. So so in, so if you were setting it up, you do AJ versus Wilder on one AJ, end, AJ Wilder on one end, and Fury versus Usyk on the other. Oh yeah, definitely. Yeah. Definitely. Interesting. I'm going to give my thoughts on that at the uh, after I hear from Smallsy. Smallsy, go for it. What about you? Yeah, so the four-man tournament. Now, this could possibly be the greatest Twitter troll of all time yeah. by whoever first came up with this because no one knows if this is based on any fact or if it's you know just someone putting out there, imagine if this happened kind of idea. I suppose now with the weird aberrations that we get from Saudi Arabian money getting pumped into boxing, it is technically possible they could be putting this on um now the aj wilder fight is possibly the most popular of all the matchups but to me it's actually also i think the one that i'm most sure of the outcome in to be honest i like um it's the most intriguing and interesting and yet also to me the most predictable in a way i i uh -oh. don't see how anthony joshua gets through 12 rounds without getting knocked out uh, I don't see him. how I don't see how he gets to six rounds without getting knocked out. Yeah. To be honest with you, at the end of Wilder, Ludo, I see you saying something, and I'm gonna go right back to Smallsy. Ludo, you're shaking your head in agreement with with, with, yeah, with Smallsy. I, I, like AJ Wilder, I don't uh you say you don't see him get getting past round six, right? Yeah. You're generous. <laughs> Yeah, it's it's a tough one. I mean, I just don't the AJ that I saw against Jermaine Franklin, that guy does not go six rounds with Deontay Wilder. Definitely um, not. I, I don't see it. But like I said, like I said, I don't want to crap on any fighter. No, no, definitely. AJ's a great athlete. Don't yeah. get me wrong. He's a great athlete. Um but we all know. You know, there's levels to this thing wilder's power and, and even cardio and Chamber. the power the power the power how how is he going to escape that you yeah. got to be tyson fury to get back up more than once yeah i mean multiple times but smallsy you were you were mid uh mid roll there and i i cut you off with, with with the predetermined outcome, please pick it up from there. Oh, I mean, I mean, that's essentially it. I think you know the the speed of Wilder's right hand will catch AJ at some point. AJ will AJ will fight that fight so tentatively. He'll be constantly on the back foot, constantly cautious. Will hardly throw any punches with conviction, and he will eventually just get caught by Wilder. Wilder, Wilder is an, like an amazing like athlete, and has. I think the right hand, the way he throws the right hand, I'm not sure I've ever seen any other boxer in the heavyweight division throw it like this. He, it's this, it's what, what I'm starting to hear from a few boxing trainers and things is that's the speed of the right hand that catches fighters off guard. It's not just the power. He winds up a lot of power, but it's also, they don't see it coming. The timing. So, yeah. The timing yeah. of this right hand. And it's, again, it's not a lucky punch. No, it's not. And what's interesting about it, too, um, I remember the Fury team was talking about how they 
kind of analyzed the, the, the technique, basically, and that he has a tell, which is the tell is that he lowers his right hand to his chest level before he throws it. He doesn't throw it right from here. He always lowers it first and then throws it. But even with doing that, and even though they know that that tell is there, it still lands. That's how fast it is. Um, and Fury's the only guy who's been able to escape it, obviously. Um, I personally hope that this tournament happens. I did a live on my channel here where I talked about um, the problems with hosting these fights in Saudi Arabia, killing other markets, specifically the UK, for big fights, just because they can out outspend uh, the UK and draw fighters from that market, which, by the way, has a similar time zone. Um, but let's face facts. I mean, there's no way this would even be possible in the UK because of the money. Um, nobody would be able to make money putting on a four-person tournament like this that would entice the guys to fight. But Saudi Arabia doesn't mind, uh, you know, what would be considered losing money uh, in the United States or in Australia or in Britain um, because they, they've got a, a bigger picture, which is to raise the public profile of their country. And, and do it through sport. Now, given that we've got a prince, uh, a billionaire prince with a hobby now that's pro boxing um, and pretty much unlimited funds to put up dream fights, let, I'm going to uh, uh, pretend that this is this is something that's, that's possible. Um, personally, I don't want to see AJ versus Wilder as an opening matchup. Um, and I'll tell you why. It's because of what you guys said. It's kind of the outcome's a little bit clear. Um, and if you put Fury versus Usyk on the other side of the bracket, what ends up happening to me is is the fourth fight between Deontay Wilder and and Tyson Fury. And Tyson Fury, right? So personally, what I would like to see would be Usyk versus Wilder, because Usyk does have the boxing skills to avoid that right hand. And there's a little bit of intrigue there in terms of can he get away for 12 rounds? I think we're all in agreement AJ can. I think it's an open question whether or not Usyk can, which makes it a little bit more appealing to me. Um, just as a boxing fan, I know that's probably not the most popular fight. But then on the other side of the bracket, you have AJ versus Fury. Now, I know people say, oh, well, my, so that's predetermined as well. Well, I think it's predetermined at this point whether it's AJ or whether, sorry, whether it's Fury or whether it's Usyk or whether it's Wilder in terms of AJ. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I mean, AJ is not really getting into this tournament off merit if it is a tournament that happens. You know, if it was getting in off merit, it would be Joe Joyce. Um, but it's not. It's getting into the tournament based on past accomplishments, being a former uh, unified champion. He's held, you know, uh, three version of the heavyweight title on two separate occasions, uh, which makes him a six-time champion in my books. Uh, so, yeah, he's in there. But Usyk versus Wilder, to me, is the more interesting kind of proposition. Ludovic, what, what do you think on that? I see your point, actually, um, of the least expected outcome when it comes to your matchup. And it makes sense now. It makes a lot of sense because, yeah, like, like we said, AJ Wilder, we already know. Usyk Fury, more interesting. However, I mean, you never know. 
but at this point in time, it is uh, it's going to be another um, um, Wilder Fury uh, again, and so it's already predetermined as well. But the idea of a forming tournament like that, I'm I'm for it. Even in Saudi Arabia, you know, they try to be the along with Qatar, they're trying to be the soft power. You know, the Middle East is developing. They're they're investing in sports. I think, and I think it's good that they're bringing people from the outside that don't necessarily have the um, the funds. They don't have the athletes, but they have the funds. So why not? Yeah. Uh, and and the reason is kind of interesting to me too. Um, the Arthur Spielka fight showed me a lot. I mean, he was outboxing Deontay Wilder until he got clipped. Luis Ortiz was outboxing him twice. Luis Ortiz twice. is also a southpaw. He mm -hmm. was schooling Deontay Wilder, Deontay Wilder, especially in the second fight, right until he got dropped. So I see Usyk being able to do it as well. The question is whether he will get clipped or not before the end of the fight, Smallsy. Yeah. Um, and by the way, Luis Ortiz, I actually would rate Luis Ortiz probably better than AJ in terms of his boxing skill and maybe even in terms of power. The only thing AJ, I think, has over Luis Ortiz is his, um, his age, basically. Um, but Usyk, I don't know. He's an enigma, isn't he? Like, it shouldn't be possible for a cruiserweight to come up in this era of giants and actually beat the guys in the, at the very top of the division. But he's knocked off one of them so far. I mean, the Wilder one, yeah, he will win every round. I mean, it's been said. He will win every single round until he gets hit with the right hand. Can he avoid the right hand? Maybe. I mean, he's extremely clever, but that right hand is probably faster than Usyk's feet. And also, Wilder has freakish, like, wingspan like range on that right hand he was able to get he was able to hit fury with it and absolutely ripple the fat all through fury's body like and fury is a long guy he's normally the one who's who's like way out of range for all these heavyweights but wilder got to him so wilder has very long arms mm. wilder has very long arms and it's true when, when, when fury got dropped he didn't realize where he was until the next five seconds Mm -hmm. Sorry, I was on mute. He's got he's got long arms and a very good delivery system, so it's a lethal combination. Um, but but there you go. I want everybody to do me a favor: hit the like button, please. If you're new to the channel, hit the subscribe button. Hit that notification bell. This is Teachers Talking Boxing. I'm joined by Smallsy out of Melbourne, Australia. My man Ludo, a fellow teacher. Actually, my co-teacher at the very same school. We also uh, started our boxing program together and do that together as well. Uh, Ludovic Ludo. Um, that's my man out of the Bronx, New York, uh, by way of Paris, France. So I got to get into the lightweight discussion. Um, Smallsy, I know in your part of the world, things were really heating up for a moment uh, with the lightweights. Uh, I was actually there live when George Gambosis Jr. Uh, dropped Teofimo Lopez in the very first round and won that fight through split decision, funny enough. I mean, to me, that was a unanimous decision win if I've ever seen one. Okay, but whatever. That's that's a win when you're on the road, definitely. Um, you know, you're on the road like that. A, a split decision is pretty much unanimous. And Ludovic 
we're going to get into to your uh, uh, experience in San Antonio, Ludo, um, uh, and, and what happened to your fighter on that card uh, on the zone. But uh, the lightweights are heating up, guys. Um, next week, we've got uh, none other than Ryan Garcia taking on um, – taking on uh, Tank Davis and what's a catchweight fight, but it's really a lightweight fight. And we've also got um, down the line, uh, Devin Haney taking on Lomachenko. All right. And last week I was at Shakur Stevenson um, beating the brakes off of Yoshino. Uh, that was a dominating performance. So, let me know what you guys think of what's going on in the lightweight division. But before you do that, all right, I'm going to bring on a special guest that just turned in behind the scenes. I'm talking about my man straight out of Manila, J.M. Siasat. I see you there, brother. Uh, <laughs> welcome to, te to, to we Teachers Talking Boxing. This is my man, uh, J.M. Siasat. So we're going to get into a lightweight discussion, uh, J.M., and then I obviously want your 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 feelings and and a little bit of Filipino backstory on on Tapales who had that that big win last week in in mm -hmm. San Antonio where Ludovic started. But uh, Smolzy, the lightweight discussion. Tell me about your your thoughts on these fights and give me your top three right now in the lightweight division. Go for it. Yeah, cool. Um, just by the way, James here. So I'm a big uh, Filipino boxing fan. So um, nice. glad you're all with us. <laughs> Um, the the lightweights right now, um, lightweight is one of, if not the most competitive divisions in boxing right now, I think. And then around lightweight, you know, there's a few guys who are sort of floating around that, that lightweight limit. Um, the, obviously, like you mentioned, I had my boy right at the top of this division not so long ago. Um, and he unfortunately got knocked off by Devin Haney. Now, it, ranking the lightweights is tricky. Because do we go by belts, in which case there's an obvious number one, Devin Haney? Do we go by experience and resume, which might lend you to putting uh, Lomachenko at the, as number one? Do we go by what, you know, the eye test of what looks like could be the best of this generation, which is Shakur Stevenson? I mean, however you do it, there's going to be people who sort of disagree with you. I would tend to go more on, you know, I suppose the current lineage, which, you know, Tiafimo beat Loma, who was the number one. Cambosis beat Tio. Now Haney has beat um, Cambosis. So I would put uh, Haney as number one. I'd have Loma right in behind him at number two. And I think I'm probably ready to put uh, Shakur in at, at number three. And I think he, in terms of talent, he could easily be number one. Interestingly enough, I noticed that Tank Davis uh, isn't isn't on that list. Um, that that was that was on purpose, right? That wasn't an accident, Small Z. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. Tank is um, Tank could possibly. I don't think he would beat Loma and Shakur. To be honest, I think he could possibly beat Devin Haney, who's currently my number one. But you know, these are boxing rankings that don't make a whole lot of sense. Yeah. Um, I I think Tank will run through. I not run through. I think he will find a way to knock out Ryan Garcia after um, you know Ryan's probably looking good for a few rounds. I think inevitably the way he can disguise 
his left hand. I was watching a few, you know, sort of few knockout reels of, of Tank Davis, and he does manage to just sneakily disguise his right hand. It sort of doesn't look like he's going to throw it. He kind of lunges in a bit and throws it really short, and he catches guys unaware. And Ryan is a guy who can get caught unaware. You know, um, Eddie Hearn famously said that Javon Tank Davis is not a deep thinker. To be honest, I think he's a very deep thinker. I think he spends most of his fight thinking about when he's going to throw that left-hand shot, and he picks the right time every time. Um, uh, I think Ryan is the one who's possibly going to have little lapses in concentration, and one of those moments is going to be the time when uh, Tank strikes. I, Having said all that, I wouldn't yet put him in the top three. Um, if he beats Ryan, maybe we can have a bit of a discussion, but uh, yeah, well, I think we have to see the result of these two upcoming lightweight fights, the Tank Garcia and the Loma Haney fight, and then we'll have a much clearer picture of the top three. There you go. Um, Ludovic, your your thoughts on Shakur last week, your thoughts on Ryan versus Tank uh, next weekend in Vegas, your thoughts on, on, on Devin Haney against Loma and generally the lightweight division. How, Give me your top three at the end, please. So Shakur is a, you know, I would never call a, a fighter perfect, but he's a complete fighter. He has, he has every aspect to stay where he is right now. Every uh, tactical, technical, physical aspect of, of what's needed right now. I mean, you know, the opponent put out a great fight, but. Um, um, Yoshino. Straight out of, out of Japan. Yeah, but uh, but um, Shakur is just, I mean, to me, he's, um, I mean, is he on top of the lightweight division? It's hard because the, the lightweight division right now is so competitive, like you said. It's kind of hard for me to, um, to list like three, like to do a top three. I'm a little, you know, I don't want to be too, you know, I don't want to rush into this, but now in terms of, uh, of, um, my favorite, maybe I can say that. I mean, I, or or who I I think Shakur and maybe Devin Haney. Yeah, I mean, to to me, it's tough to to not say Devin Haney. I mean, he's the undisputed champion. I mean, he's got all of the belts, and people may try to discount the fact that he beat Gambosis, but Gambosis is a good fighter, and Gambosis Gambosis came here to New York and and. Uh, to me, beat the brakes off of Teofimo Lopez, who at that time was seen as a rising elite fighter. So Mm -hmm. if you're going to give Teofimo Lopez credit for beating Loma, then you have to give Gambosis credit for beating Teofimo. And you got to give Haney credit for going over to Australia twice and doing that, right? Now, I see Checkmate Boxing in in the chat saying that we're downgrading Tank. I'm not undervaluing Tank, man. Tank is a great fighter, but Tank has not won a legitimate title yet at 135, and he doesn't have a signature win yet at 135. And we'll see if he gets that, whether it will be with an asterisk, with a weight clause, with a rehydration, with a catch weight, with all of that stuff against Ryan. But right now, I personally have to go Haney, number one. Um, oh, man, it's tough because see? I agree. I kind of agree <laughs> with Smalley. <laughs> I kind of agree with Smolzy about Loma, uh, and I agree with you about Shakur. So if you put Tank against Shakur, I'm sorry, I'm picking Shakur right now. I just did. I think so. 
Um, AMC aside, uh, before we get into the the discussion on on uh, on uh, Tapales, you got any any views on the lightweight division? Oh, and by the way, everybody go look at my man JMC aside. He got a great channel. Even though I don't speak Tagalog, I understand it a little bit because I speak Spanish and English, and they mix it in there. And my man speaks English a lot on his channel anyways. But check him out for great boxing content. JM, go for it, brother. Uh, Live with Division 135, man. Easily one of the most competitive weight classes in boxing uh, today. You know, promoters are saying that whoever wins the upcoming fight between Gervonta Tank Davis and Ryan Garcia becomes the face, the new face of boxing. I don't know whether you agree with that or not. To me, that's kind of premature, but at least it tells us volumes of how big the stars are, how big the, the weight class is when you talk about the the, the lightweight division. Um, if you're going to ask me who is the who I think is the the top fighter in the 135 division, um, you know, I would have to give give it to Devin Haney. You know, I'm not a huge fan of his style. Um, you know, I <laughs> Funny enough, I actually uh, picked uh, Combosos to beat him. I predicted the fight for Combosos twice. Of course, he, he proved me wrong twice. So, you know, there's just no way I can underestimate the guy again moving forward. But uh, when it comes to other fighters in, in the lightweight division, um, you know, I would, I would have to say that Lomachenko can actually dethrone him as the top seed, the king of the the lightweight division. My problem with that fight is, and my problem with Lomachenko is that he's looked so invincible throughout his career, but, you know, he's shown, he's shown flaws. He's, he's, there were some chinks in his armor at 135. I kind of feel like he's maxed out. I think he would be best to stay at 130. He, he kind of feels small, at least to me, kind of, kind of less powerful when it comes to 135 division. So, it's really going to be interesting how the big fights play out because you're looking at uh, Haney versus Loma, you know, whoever the winner of that hopefully gets to fight the winner of uh, Tank versus Ryan Garcia. Uh, going to that fight between Haney and uh, Lomachenko, I really do believe, again, that uh, Lomachenko is the overall better fighter when it comes to being more complete fighter because... Devin Haney, you know, he really doesn't have an offense, man. And I, and, and I kind of feel like, you know, down, down the trenches, he he kind of loses team. Like, he's not the same the way he moves the first six A rounds. At least that's the way he he, he looks to me. And he just kind of drags the fight, you know, to, to the final bell. I think that Loma has is the better, better overall fighter. But I think he is, you know, the surefire underdog in that fight. Uh you know, I would favor uh, Haney to win that fight, but I won't be surprised if uh, Lomachenko pulls it off. Uh, very interesting, very hard to pick. But when it comes to the other one between Gervonta Tank Davis and Ryan Garcia, man, I, I you know I, I like both fighters, but that one I'm going with Tank. So you know, the next few months will be decided what happens to the lightweight division. Very interesting stuff going here. You know. This division is never going to be boring with the likes of uh, Pitbull Cruz lurking around, you know, ridiculously flawed fighter, if I may say. But nevertheless, it's going to be an exciting fight against anyone. So, yeah, one of the most top, one of the most competitive and fun weight classes in boxing today, man. 
Yeah, I definitely agree with that sentiment. And uh, what I'd also add to uh, with, with what you're saying about Haney, he's got his style. It's not always the prettiest to watch. Yes. He likes to stay at range. He likes to time his opponent. He does have a very beautiful up jab, which a lot of people can't necessarily yes. throw effectively. He controlled Gambosis with that up jab. Um, you got to be fast to throw that, obviously, because you're giving away uh, a little in terms of defense if you don't have speed. Um, and at the same time, Lomachenko, I was there live at the, at the Hulu when he fought Jermaine Ortiz. And nice. Jermaine Ortiz was quite effective with the jab, right? And with yeah. a more conventional jab at that. Um, so yeah. you wanted to That's add something? Yeah, that yeah. fight Loma didn't look, you know, the Loma that we know, the Matrix that we know, he, he didn't look that guy either against Ortiz. He, and he's coming off of that fight and he's going straight to Haney. Look, I think Haney is a very one-dimensional fighter, right? He only does one thing. And, and, and you know that he's just going go in there and try to box, right? But that one thing he does is just so efficient. It's so effective that so far he hasn't lost a fight. Right, so unless you know, if if, if uh, the Loma that we know shows up with something different, something that Haney hasn't seen before, right? Offensively, which is going to be tough, <laughs> all right, because we're we're also looking at the sizes here. It's it's going to be a long night. It's going to be a long night for for Lomachenko, man. Lastly, before we get into the talk about San Antonio last week, um, what what, what were your thoughts on Shakur? against Yoshino. Uh, did he impress you as much as he seems to have impressed the rest of us? <laughs> to be honest with you, man, I haven't seen the fight because I okay. was tuned into mixed martial arts okay, fair enough. last week. So after the Marlon the Palace fight, I went straight to the UFC and, and watched the other event. I covered well, you know, I co it's I covered great. It's It's a great point, though, because there was so much boxing last week. There was a card on the zone, which, of course, you watched, and Ludo, Ludo was actually down there. Uh, in San Antonio with a fighter. Uh, there was also the ESPN card in Newark, New Jersey, where I was. Uh, there was another card outside L.A. Uh, where Fundora got brutally knocked out by yes, Brian I saw that, Mendoza. I early candidate for a knockout of the year, <laughs> yeah. as far as I'm concerned. And in addition to that, there was also the style bender in the UFC. Yes. In what was it? The trilogy fight, right? Against... Um, Alex Pereira, so yeah. a lot to watch for sure. But let's get yeah. into San Antonio. Ludo, Ludo talk talk about uh, your experience in San Antonio, mm -hmm. uh, who you were there uh, to support and work with, and, and then we'll get into what we saw uh, in terms of the other fights as well. So I went to San Antonio for the preliminary card of, uh, you know, Bam Bam Rodriguez, um, fight with jose lopez uh you were with you were with jose lopez I, I was yeah i was with jose lopez uh it was the first fight actually first fight of the night uh he fought a guy called jesus martinez so at a hundred they weighed at 118 pounds and 119 119 pounds um so what i saw on my end from my you know my guy it was a full rounder Right. Uh, the guy was a local guy, one of Robert Garcia uh, uh, fighters. Um, he beat one of them, uh, one of his fighters um, last time to in, uh, in Omaha, Nebraska on uh, Terrence Crawford's undercard. Um, 
also um so what i would say my take on it the first round was really really tight you know feel out round uh and uh my guy jose lopez was building as the as the rounds went by too bad it, it was not a six rounders because it, it wouldn't have gone uh the distance unfortunately he was given a draw uh everybody who watches the fight can tell it's you know a draw was that draw wasn't an actual win uh but it is what it is you know boxing is you know it is what it is um i think he uh outboxed him at the end he caught him with a bunch of right hand overhand and and, and body shots all day body shots uh cutting the ring off and you know in the last round um his opponent looked like he was uh you know avoiding the fight he was trying to stick and move stick and move <clears throat> it is what it is um so that was for my, um, you know, my, my, our fighters, uh, site. Yeah. Now. The big upset. <clears throat> big upset. You were there um, for it. You were there for it. Uh, JMC has watched it from the Philippines. Let's talk about it. MJ Akmandaliev. Oh. This, this is a guy who was supposed to, to, uh, Take on Stephen Fulton Jr. For years, they were talking about that fight. It never materialized. Stephen Fulton Jr. is going to be taking on the monster in a way in Japan. It's been rescheduled for July. July. But in comes the spoiler, um, Marlon Tapales. Uh, go for it, uh, Ludovic. Oh, Marlon Tapales? Yeah. Uh, amazing. Amazing. Southpaw, his... <laughs> right hand his jab first of all this jab and what what he works off the jab he turns the, the way he turns the jab into a hook the way he triples quadruples the right hand sometimes and then that left uppercut he sets you up with that and everything the the footwork the steps the the um, his timing is a it was a sword fight it was literally a sword fight uh i'm I, you know i was really impressed really really impressed um, and now I'm, I'm going to say it again. Um, another big disappointment, um, uh, Madrimov. Israel Madrimov. Uh, you were there for that as well. It was, it, it was, it was a great fight. The opponent was really, really tough. Some, um, I forgot the name. I'm sorry. My apologies. Um, more or less local guy from Houston, Texas, uh, tough opponent. He wouldn't go down. And that's what, that's what surprised me with, uh, you know, with Madrimov, um, the the amount of times that he 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 literally uh caught the guy and you know off the pivot off uh Rafael uh, Igboek yes yes very tough Igbokwe, guy Igbokwe. Yeah. oh tough guy oh, I mean obviously the guy has a very very strong chin mm -hmm. um it was a battle and he got you know it, it was becoming tougher and tougher for, for Majumov uh as the rounds uh, uh went by like and I mean both of them were gassed eventually but big uh big disappointment there you go uh jmc Assad, i've seen tapales fight uh he fought in brooklyn on the undercard of a jamal charlo uh fight back in 2019 i believe when uh, charlo fought dennis hogan um you know he's kind of been flying under the radar a little bit since taking a couple losses yeah. Uh, talk to us about about his journey and and your thoughts on that fight. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, you know, you, you said it best. He's been flying under the radar. Look, Marta Palace is, is, is a former uh, bantamweight world champion, right? And when he lost that title, he, uh, and he kept fighting on. I, back in two times, I'm not sure which fight you saw, but if that was against uh, Iwasa, right, when he was stopped, everybody thought that he was done after that, right? And, yeah. you know, we're now seeing this resurgence. We're now seeing... Marlon Tapales, a unified champion at the 122-pound division. You know, it's just amazing, uh, Maestro, because if you've seen my videos um, when we broke down this fight between uh, Murajon Akhmadaliev, was that I actually said that I feel like Marlon Tapales is the better skilled fighter. And people laugh when I said yeah, that. And, and I really can't blame them. Yeah, because I'm follow- <laughs> I, 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 I followed Marlon Tapales for years. And I know there's just something to his game that he can actually bring against MJ. Now, don't get me wrong, I, I like MJ too. He's you know, he, he's a good fighter. But the way I've seen him is that the way I see him is that he's very flawed. I see holes in his game. And you know, I think Marlon Tapales just proved me wrong in that fight. Uh I would have to give it to Ludo, you know, he said the jab was the key in that fight. You know, doubles, triples, the jab. It was just so hard for for Ahmad Aliyev to figure that out because not only does he double, he triples the jab, he goes to the head, he goes to the body, he fakes, he faints. Everything he, he did there was just very effective. There was no wasted movement. No, he, he doesn't bounce around. You know, he tried to conserve his stamina up to the very end. Now, for Marlon Tapas, I said, in order for him to win this fight, look, if you've seen Marlon Tapas before, this is, this this was supposed to be a scary fight for him, and 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 I really can't blame the odds, man. I I heard some sports books even had it twenty to one for uh, Murad John, and the the final one was four to one, right? So I I really can't blame the odds makers for for feeling that way because the old uh uh Tapales that we've seen, you know, he just always goes for the attack. He likes to come forward. He has you know a, a very good step in. He has good power in both hands. But this this guy gets dropped, right? He's been dropped several times in his career. In fact, the first time he won the title against uh, uh, Pong Luang Sourcing Yu, uh, I think he changed his name now. You know how how Thai guys, right? Yeah, I mean, yeah. they, they they changed the, the their in ring name, but back yeah, then it was the, Pong doesn't Luang. it go along with their sponsorship? Whatever their new sponsorship is, their yes. new fighting name. Yeah, yeah. The, the 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 gym mostly the gym that they represent. Yeah. So you know he was dropping that fight. So Marlon Tapales, you know, has that tendency. You know, he has that trigger. You know, if you touch his shin, he has this tendency to go down. And I had no doubt. I had no reason to believe that uh, Akma can can put him down if Akma lands. You know, one of his best shots uh, on Marlon Tapales. Now, I said that the key to victory for this fight is that. It's so easy to say. It's so tough to do. We've seen this over and over in boxing. You just have to avoid that big punch, big punch for 12 rounds. I mean, 12 rounds, we're talking about fighting for 36 minutes, right? So somehow, some way, he was able to, to avoid that. He was able to do that because he was able to do, he was able to, to lean, utilize his shoulder roll defense because, incidentally, this guy, Rajon, was a lefty. So his defense was effective, you know, his form was effective against that guy, right? So he was able to, to pull that off. But if uh, Murajon, you know, was an orthodox fighter, then he it wouldn't be as walk in the, uh, walk in the park. You mean, so an orthodox, say, you mean an orthodox fighter like the monster? <laughs> yeah. 
right? that you won't be able to pull up so easily against the Oya Inoue. So yeah. everything worked out. Uh, I, I felt like I was I was I was looking at the fight for six rounds. Uh, first, you know, the, when the half of the fight was over in the first six rounds, I scored five rounds to one for Tapales. So I just think it was a case of uh, Murad John not. Uh, adjusting properly, not adjusting early enough to you know to win the fight because by the by the fourth, uh, I think the fourth fifth round, Tapas was doing the same thing and you know Akmadaliev was just doing the same thing either. He looked like a guy who was so baffled that he didn't want to win. Don't get me wrong, he he won the fourth round at least to me uh, in my scorecard if I'm not mistaken. But you know the same thing happened in the fifth and the sixth round. I don't know what they what they were telling him in his corner, but I think as early as you know after the, he won the fourth round, I think he should have you know went for the pressure and then just keep trying and just move forward and you know try his luck against this guy. So you know it it was an amazing victory. You know props to Marlon, but we all know he just you know he has just one foot inside the door. Now they're looking to fight the winner between Stephen Fulton and Naoya Inoue. Well, that was the Honestly, question. That was a question from my member, uh, Papa Chubby Chubby, straight out of Toronto, Ontario. All mm-hmm. right, that's what he wanted to know, and you just answered his question. Smallsy, uh, let, let's let's talk to Paulus. Well, what were your thoughts on the Tapales win? Uh, so, uh, so first of all, um, Tapales, very, very happy for Tapales. I love it when guys who you never expect to get this kind of opportunity get it and get hold of it, and Tapales is an amazing spot now. Because as JMCS I just said, he now gets to fight for the undisputed uh, 122-pound titles, which is amazing. Um, so really happy for for Tapales. Um, I love it. I love a good upset in boxing because it suddenly makes that division really interesting. And to be honest, Ahmed Aliyev was kind of mucking around 122. You know, I wanted to see him, you know, <laughs> sort of make more of his of his fights and he's been a little bit inactive. So I'm glad he's kind of been, you know, shaken up and now has to fight his way back to the top. In the meantime, good on you, Tapalius. I hope he gets that fight, that undisputed fight against um, either Fulton or Inouye. And just one other thing I have to mention, it's unfortunate I have to do this, but it's a bit of classroom management I've got to do here. Um, Tony the Pugilist has been uh, just some disappointing behavior from Tony Pugilist. I see in the comments him saying here, Cambos is won by a fluke. Um, against uh, Tiafimo Lopez. Tony, we need to have a little uh, restorative chat. Um, we're just going to discuss your behavior and, and you know, talk about just the mistakes you made today and, and how we can seek to not, not repeat these in the future, okay? You're better than this, Tony. We will be better than this, okay? I don't like having to do the classroom management thing, but we just had a bit of silliness today. So, um, anyway, I, back I, to I, I appreciate that, uh Smallsy, that that was that was excellent, one hundred percent. And as as uh, as Ben used to say, let's let's have some parliamentary procedure here, right? <laughs> or I should say, you big, but yeah, sorry, go for it, Smallsy. Uh, now, well, look, that's that's me, really. Um, uh, I love Filipino boxing, love Tapales. Um, oh, actually, one th- just off the while you're here, James CSR. Mm. What do you think about Manny Pacquiao coming back for a fight against Conor Ben? To me, <laughs> I don't like the thought. I love Manny to bits. I don't like the thought of him getting knocked out by a juiced up young in their prime welterweight. So I'm really torn here. I, lo- I-, I love Manny. 
Don't mm. want to see him get knocked out. What, what, mm. Where do you stand on that one? <laughs> Look, man, um, I, I've been in this game for so long. And one thing I can tell you is I really don't want to tell these fighters to retire or stay retired, right? Because at the end of the day, that's how they make their living, right? You know, I, I can never tell Maestro here, hey, Maestro, just stop doing your podcast. And I don't know if he does this for a living, but that's just unfair. The same way I wouldn't want people to tell me to stop reporting, stop writing, right? Because it's my livelihood. Same thing with Manny. Now, with that said, <laughs> right, we all know that Manny Pacquiao is past it. I really have no problem with Manny Pacquiao making money, making a living off the legacy and the brand he has created, right? He deserves that. You know, what Floyd Mayweather is doing right now, of course, you know, what Floyd Mayweather does, eventually some people would follow and, you know, he started not, you know, he started this exhibition thing again. Don't get me wrong. Of course, exhibitions, you know, have existed for a long time, but Floyd Mayweather is again showing the way, the, 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 the business way on how to make a hell out of money out of this, right? So people are following his footsteps. And if Manny Pacquiao wants to do that, and he did last December against this Korea, South Korean martial artist, I have no problem with that. For By all means, make your living. You deserve that. And, you know, it's, it's the legacy you're created. Um, benefit off of that. But <laughs> if we're, we're talking about exhibitions, right? The Conor Ben fight, we're still unsure if this is going, because people are saying it's going to be a real fight, a, a professional fight, right? And I think we have, there's no, none of us here in the panel would say that Conor Ben touches Manny Pacquiao in his prime. <laughs> but this is a 44 year old Manny Pacquiao now, right? And if it's gonna look, I just don't want to see the guy get hurt. Right, I don't. I have no problems with him taking exhibitions again, make money off of it, by by all means. But against Conor Ben, if it's going to be a real fight, if if, if small, if you're bothered about that fight, imagine not too long ago, Manny was talking about taking on the likes of Terence Crawford and Errol Spence. I mean, just, I mean, how crazy is that, right? Again. There's one thing, there's something I always say about, you know, great fighters. A great fighter will always be capable of beating a good fighter, even when they are past it. We've seen this over and over throughout the years. We've seen it with Muhammad Ali, Roberto Duran, until he was like 49, 50. We've seen it against Sugar Ray Leonard. You know, they kept fighting there because they're great fighters and they will always be capable of beating. George Foreman, who are movies coming fun. out about. Well, sorry, sorry. I was saying George Foreman, JM, yeah, not George, to cut you off, but yeah. Yeah, George Foreman, see, he knocked out Michael Moore, right? So these great fighters will 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 always be capable of beating good fighters. But the thing is, you're 44. Do you still want to roll the dice? I mean, you're settled for life. I don't know, man. But other than the Conor Ben fight, I think what bothers me more, uh, Smosey, is the fact that Manny, I'm not sure if he's, if really believes and thinks it, it's the fact that he thinks that he can still go up against these hungry young fighters, the likes of Crawford and Errol Spence. Whatever happens next, right? And what happens after that, I think is going to be even scarier than the prospect of actually him going up against uh, Ben. So we'll, we'll wait and see. But, you know, if he wants to do some exhibitions, I mean, by all means, you know, go to the WWE if, that, if that's going to, you know, get him a bag. But yeah, Conor Ben, I, I don't have much feelings with that. I hope it's going to be an exhibition, but they're looking to put it in, their, in, in a professional fight. I, I if hope Manny wins, 
if money wins, wait for what's next. And I think that's you know that's something I think, to talk about. I think that's the problem because he can win that fight and it's gonna set him up to get brutally destroyed by an actually top welterweight. Um Luda, uh we're gonna go to Ludo right now because Ludo, you wanted to talk about this, and I alluded to it with uh Marlon uh Tapales. Um a lot of Asian fighters seem to fall under the radar, especially here in the United States. I love living in New York City, um, but, you know, it's very U.S.-focused here in terms of the outlook on the sport. Um, up until a few years ago, they didn't even really look at anything below the featherweight division in the United States, except for some outlier examples from my childhood, guys like Yanni Tapia being one. Um but I'm refreshed to see the fact that Asian boxing, boxing taking place in the Asia Pacific region, including uh, Australia, Smallsy, is, is starting to, to take off. Haney obviously went out twice to Australia. Just shows you that the, the money was there for a fight uh, that was interesting with a global appeal. Um, we've seen Inouye now uh, drawing guys over to Japan and those fights are finally being televised here in the United States. His last one was televised, his one before that, and the one that's coming up against Stephen Fulton Jr. These are Japan fights taking place in Japan, being televised in the U.S. We obviously have the other dynamic, too, which is important to me about fighters from the Asia-Pacific region. They're willing to take on all comers. Like, I'm not seeing this uh, a, a protection plan that we've been seeing for a lot of fighters from the United States and also Britain, where, you know, you build yourself up, you've padded careers, padded records. Look at Zhang Zilei, who's taking on Joyce. It's one ch tough challenge on to the next tough challenge. It was uh, Hergovich last time, who nobody wanted to fight. And now we have Joe Joyce that a lot of people don't want to fight. So, Ludo, you wanted to talk about this. Um, so I'll, I'll, I'll throw it to you in terms of uh, boxing in the Asia Pacific region and fighters from there. No, what, what I want to talk about, what, what I just want to say first is that I'm very happy that now they're being promoted more on a, on a global scale, because like I said, you know, if you dig, I mean, you don't even have to dig that deep. You're going to find a lot of talent, especially in the smaller weight classes. And I mean, you know, Pacquiao was like the, the, the Filipino fighter, right? Then came Nonito Donaire. Uh, then who we have? And Max Ayo, he's, I mean, he lost his last two fights, but still, yeah. again, that does not disqualify him. Um, but anyway, and the Japanese style, I'm particularly uh, fond of the Japanese style. Uh, and also, you know what I, um, what I have to say, again, speaking of the technicality and, and everything that goes along with it, the discipline. The discipline that's that's deeply rooted in Japanese culture, I think, really helps um, um, certain fighters like Inoue excel. Like, who can be Inoue right now? Any guess? I don't think anybody can beat him one twenty-two and below. Personally, no disrespect to Tapales, who just got the win, but Inoue's the man, as far I, as I, I'm concerned. I think I would have to say Stephen Fulton has a good chance. I think Stephen. I think if there's anyone who could beat Inoue right now, I think it has to be Stephen Fulton. This is the same feeling that I've had when when uh, Canelo moved up in weight and fought Bivol. I said I think if there's someone who could beat uh, Canelo right now, I think it would be Bivol. I think stylistically speaking, Stephen Fulton has what it takes. Right? Give him a fair playing ground. I think it's possible. 
I think it's possible for Stephen Fulton. But um, so any names coming up like from the Philippines? <laughs> not right now. Not I, right I now. Guess, no, not not right now. They they wanted they wanted uh they they wanted to you know there was a uh, once upon a time they wanted to uh, have a, to see a fight between uh, uh Naoya Inoue and Janriel Casimiro. The fight was canceled because of COVID-19 unfortunately. But even with that, I don't think Janriel beats Inoue in all honesty. So but from the Philippines Right now, no, I, I wouldn't favor uh, Tapales over anyway. I, I think, and I, I've also said this in the past, you know, as you guys know, triangle theories that, that don't apply in boxing. I think Tapales yeah, is a course. better chance of beating Stephen Fulton than beating Inouye. But I think Inouye runs over Tapales, whereas Fulton, you know, I think he has a pretty decent chance. I think he can pull it off. I just feel like. I, just I, feel I, like I, I mean, for, for Inouye, I, I can see, but I was asking in general. People from the like fighters to watch that may be on the rise, upcoming fighters from the Philippines. No, no, no. Against Inouye, no. No, 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 not, not against Inouye. He's asking in general. In general, are there any Filipino fighters we should watch out for? Ah, okay. Sorry, I, sorry. I was fixated. <laughs> yeah, Inouye. Inouye because he's, he's a big. Uh, I, I would, I would have to say. And, and I favor this. I like this guy's chance of winning. Vincent Astrolabio. Vincent Astrolabio. Uh, just you know, just uh, a couple of years ago, he was virtually unknown. He was fighting mostly in the Philippines. The year after that, he went to Dubai, defeated Rigondo. The Rigondo, most, con- yeah. yeah, defeated not Rigondo doubt, defeated Rigondo by via decision. He was after that. He was picked up by uh, Sean Gibbons. Right, so from fighting in the Philippines to Dubai, the next thing you know, he's you know he's a, he's in a PBC card, fighting in an IBF title eliminator against Potapov, and for the vacant intercontinental WBO uh, title. So he they they've really positioned him to to uh, to fight for a world title either in the IBF or the WBO. And right now he's going to fight uh, Jason Maloney. I think that's going to be on May 13. So that's uh someone to look for. I really like that guy. Very uh very skilled, good speed, good power. And what I like what I like about him the most is that he's a he has a disciplined aggression when it comes to fight. And that's not something that you you know usually see when it comes to Filipino fighters. It's just like go all in, face first, chin up, right? So this one is a thinking uh, offensive fighter. So Vincent Astrolabio, I would say. You know, I mean, we got a lot of those thinking fighters in the Filipino history, uh, a, a lot. You know, um, what's his name? Jerry Pinelosa. Um, yeah. From but back he, in the day, he was yeah. a great fighter from when I was younger. Yeah. He's not yeah. He's not a defensive fighter, though. This uh, Astrolabio, he's a thinking come forward fighter. Okay. So, that, yeah, that's what I like about him. Jerry Pinelosa is a good friend of mine. We open up a, 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 my first boxing gym. We open up together. I'm, uh, I'm his partner. Oh, nice. Another, yeah, I'm another lefty that you could take about who can box really well. Of course, the, the Hall of Famer, Flash Elorde. Right? Yes. A lot of, you know, good fundamentally sound fighters from the Philippines. But this is a, a different, a different kind of Filipino fighter in the sense that he's aggressive, but at the same time, he's a thinking fighter. So, so let's tr- pivot uh, quickly. Uh, last uh, country I want to touch upon is Australia, where Smallsy is from. Um Australia has been 
also under the radar for a very long time. I mean, you guys are so <laughs> far from us. It's nighttime for you right now. It's nighttime for JM. Um, but like I said, Devin Haney went over there twice. Those were two really big fights. And one of the fighters in the entire sport that I'm most popular, or most excited about, who's very popular in Australia right now, is the son of the Hall of Fame legend, oh, Costa yes. Zhu, his son, Tim Zhu. Um, you know, it's very interesting because before that fight, you know, Tony Harrison was over there. And I like Tony Harrison, but it's the typical thing that a lot of U.S. fighters do when they're fighting a foreigner. I'm from Name Your City. I'm from the hood. I'm from the streets. Um, well, I got news for people. They, they do have hoods and streets in other areas of the world. But not only that, you don't need to be from the hood or from the streets to succeed at boxing or be very good at boxing. <laughs> I don't think, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, that Tim Zhu grew up in the streets. I mean, his dad is a multimillionaire Hall of Famer. So, <laughs> um, yeah, just talk talk to us real quick, uh, Smallsy, about the scene in Australia and about what your thoughts are on, on the young, uh, now interim champion, Tim Zhu. Yeah, so, okay, boxing in Australia. It doesn't quite have the profile that, you have in the UK or the Philippines or the or the US yet, but it does have some boxes that people really get behind. So at the moment, obviously, most recently, Cambosis. Tim Zhu has been on the rise for quite a few years now, and he actually had a fight with Jeff Horn a few years back that was kind of billed as a super fight. Um, in the past, there have been other fighters like, uh, you guys might know Anthony Mundine and... Um, uh, you know, there was Danny Green and the Australian Danny football Green. player, right? Danny, uh, sorry, uh, Anthony Mundine. Mundine, he's a, yeah, he's a rugby league player yeah, rugby who league pivoted league. into boxing, and and um, so um, Australian boxing, kind of in terms of viewership, kind of centers around these key fighters, particularly when they get into domestic matchups. Sometimes you might get the odd boxer that gets enough of a profile that they can actually bring over an American fighter. It happened with Cambosis. Happened again with um, Tim Zhu. Now, um, I think, and and I think possibly we might get the same a similar thing happening um, with Jaya Pattaya, who's the cruiserweight champion from Brisbane, from Queensland. Um, so um, yeah, the scene's kind of growing a little bit. We've got some good fighters, um, and in terms of the you know, there's a couple of domestic fights that can be made. Um, I think, as much as I wish this would happen. I think Eddie Hearn might be jumping the gun a little bit by sort of thinking he could turn Australia into a, you know, a really sort of pumping, thriving boxing market to, you know, kind of siphon the zone uh, subscriptions from just because the, this country is more focused on Australian rules, football, rugby league, um, you know, and, and a few other sports, tennis, things like that. I don't think you're going to get a whole lot of the zone subscriptions out of us. But you are going to get some pay-per-view, you know, the occasional pay-per-view money when when you put on a really good domestic clash or put in a Cambosis or a Tim Zoo. Um, but I just like seeing, I just like hearing an Aussie accent in a on a um, in a boxing interview occasionally. So it's nice for me. Is is it fair to say that in Australia, fighters um, in the lower weight classes are kind of tied in to the Philippines, Japan, and once they get into the higher weight classes, they're target is is more the uk and in the us 
Um, well, the, the I suppose the two most high-profile guys from the lower weights, the Maloney twins, and they mm-hmm. have kind of, um, you know, that primarily their fights have been in that Asia-Pacific area against, you know, the Inouye's and the, um, uh, you know, some some of the other fighters from Southeast Asia. So, um, uh, yeah, but then obviously, I, I suppose it's kind of just the the way the boxing makeup works of the world. Like the Southeast Asia owns those lower weights. Europe kind of owns the the heavyweights, and America kind of owns those middleweight, welterweight kind of uh, sizes. So I think maybe that's just a case of you know the way the you know the separation of the weight classes around the world. Australia has a bit of everything. There you go. So uh, we'll close on that. Uh, JMC aside, any last words? Uh, let people know where they can find you. I'm going to put your channel in the description to this video too yeah, uh, for yes, all of the sure. people watching on demand. Go for it, brother. Yeah, uh, you can go ahead and find me at Sparring Sessions by JMC Asad. I do interviews, podcasts. Um, yeah. Maestro, I hope you don't mind me you know, butting this one in just before we, we no, go, go for it. Last word. Since, since, since you mentioned that small seas from Australia, small, how's, how do the locals feel about boxing nowadays? Because just to give people a context of where I'm coming from, not several years ago, there were some demands or there were some outcry from Australians to actually stop the sport, you know, for, for Australians to actually stop hosting boxing, specifically in 2015, because I'm not sure if you guys are aware of this, but uh, in 2015, John Vincent uh, Moralde fought Braid Smith in, in March. And Braid Smith collapsed after that fight, never woke from that, he died. Six months later, another Filipino went to, uh, to, to Australia, and this one is Carlo Magali. And uh, he fought David Brown. The guy was put to sleep, never woke up from that. He died too. So, you know, I, after that, I, I've seen a lot of people saying that maybe it's time to reassess if boxing should be allowed in Australia. So I, I'm just curious how, how, how people in, in fans in Australia are taking it right now. Um, it's, I, I suppose it's like the same kind of, Every everyone involved in boxing, the boxers, the promoters, and the fans have to grapple with this ethical conundrum when we watch a boxing fight, which is we want to be entertained, boxers want to be paid, but we also have to accept that it's a dangerous sport. Someone could be I hate to say it, but you're right, someone yeah. someone could be killed. And that bothers me as well. I sometimes feel bad watching boxing for that for that reason. I haven't heard like uh, big mainstream discussions about whether boxing should be banned in Australia, and I don't okay. see it happening in the foreseeable future, though. Mm-hmm. Okay, thank you. Sorry, sorry to butt that in. No, Marshall, no. But, yeah. Listen, uh, JM, thank you curious. so thank you so much uh, for coming on. As 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 uh, the audience has heard, JM, you're very well entrenched there, very well um, established in in the Philippines in terms of boxing, in terms of reporting on boxing in terms of your gyms in terms of the fighters you know and work with so i really appreciate you coming on brother uh thank you so much and sparring sessions um with jmc that's the channel you guys all go check it out um ludovic uh ludo as as i call you uh go for it brother last words i just want to give a shout out to a few people if you don't mind so i want to absolutely I want to shout out to my brother from another mother, uh, trainer, 
amazing boxing trainer Chico Guzman, uh, his cousin Cesar Francis, the Rain Man. For, for those who know, that's my brother too. That's my family. I want to give a shout out to Jose Lopez. You know who I was in San Antonio with, and all the team in Universal Boxing Gym in Queens. Coach Mose, big shout out to you. He's the the, the owner, founder, CEO, and you know all of the fighters over there: Devon Lee, Danny Gonzalez, Matt Castro, uh, and whoever I forget. Well, there you go. Uh, that's my fellow teach right there, Ludo himself and uh, Smallsy, my fellow teach way over on the other side of the world where I know it's getting late. So thank you so much for being on, brother. Uh, last words are to you. Hey, teachers can have hobbies too, all right? That's all. <laughs> that's all. Teachers, I think everybody should have a hobby, by the way. Hobbies are healthy. <laughs> Um, and if your hobby is getting on YouTube and talking boxing, I'm all for it, obviously. Listen, this was Teachers Talking Boxing uh, with my man Smallsy, my man Ludo. And we were joined today by our special guest, J.M. Siasat. Thank you, everybody. Thank you for tuning in. Uh, that is it. And everybody enjoy the fights today. We got some good fights uh, out in the U.K. Uh, Zhang Zilei, Joe Joyce. Uh, enjoy that. It should definitely be a good one. Uh, thank you, everybody, for watching. Uh, that will be it. Take care, everybody.